So the big question is this, are you tired of the hustle and grind of fix and flip? Do you really think you can wholesale your way to success? What you really want is a cash flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom, sunsets and palm trees on your terms. But what if you're stuck because you have no capital, no time and no idea where to start? That ends now. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags to riches real estate millionaire who started out with no money or credit and quickly grew a portfolio of cash flowing apartments. Not to mention, he did it all with other people's money. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. So now, here's your host, the big kahuna, Corey Peterson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson. We are on a journey. We are in a series right now called The Secret Profit Pillars. And there's six of them. And we are actually on Profit Pillar number two, which is the the secret language, right? The secret language of apartments. And why is that important? You know, here's the deal with like, it is a different jargon, right? And it's totally different from single family fix and flips. And so the need and the ability to learn and understand the language of, you know, how brokers talk, how how the industry talks as a whole will make you feel and sound and look credible. And and really that's that's what it comes down to is that when you're talking with brokers, with uh, lenders, with banks, you want to, you know, appear and, and 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 look confident that you know your stuff, right? And so, it really just takes you got to understand what the language is. So I'm going to help, and I'm going to give. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the language um, in, in detail, and really just kind of go over some, you know, some best case practices. Um, and and really just some um, some straight up like here's what the words are and here's what they mean <laughs> because it's really nothing you know harder than that um, you know what I'd like to do in this 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 episode is try to get you guys to understand um, the broker's language management language like what do management people say what do brokers say. And then really, you know, just some techniques probably to get some brokers off your back, right? To make sure that they can, um, you can, you can really get, you know, make sure the juice is worth the squeeze is what I like to say. Okay. So with that, you know, these are what I call magic words, right? Because when you're dealing with a broker, there's nothing worse than having him look at you and like turn your head and be like, ah. That's that's a new guy, because I'm gonna tell you right now, brokers are they are they are sharp, they are sharp as hell, and I don't know what it is or the training they go through, but they are trained to sniff out newbies, and now why is that? It's because they're trying to create paychecks. Like remember, brokers, realtors, things like that, they work for free until you close. That's, that's the only way they get paid. And so if that's the case, um, they are going to really have a nose 
for BS, right? They'll, they'll know when you're BSing them. And now the other thing about like being new, so let's talk about being new for a minute. It is absolutely okay to say I'm new. Just know that, right? You don't have to lie. You don't have to fake it till you make it. Okay. You can still say I'm new, but you, but you can, if you do it and you understand what you're doing and you're confident, you know, there's a difference. There's an absolute difference. So I don't believe you have to like fabricate and say, oh, I know everything, right? But I also believe you should stack the deck, right? So the the less that a broker knows about like how new you really are is important, right? So in other words, being able to sound like you've been in the industry or that you've, um, you know, you just don't look stupid, right? Like, oh, what's, what's, what's cap rate? If you ask what a cap rate is, that's going to be like, oh, you're new, right? So what I'd like to do is I just want to talk about, and I'm going to go through what I call like my P&L, first of all. Like if you're looking at a P&L or any type of like broker's operating memorandum where they're going to have the, some of the financials, let's just go through that. I think sometimes just going through that is a good way to understand a lot of this terminology of what brokers talk about, right? And then I'm going to give you some um, more real-world stuff of what they say in different different parts, right? So gross schedule, let's just start with this. Gross scheduled rents. What's gross scheduled rents, right? It's the income, it's the annual income of a property if all uh, the rentable space uh, were rented or collected. In short, it's, it's the maximum potential income uh, without regard to any possible vacancy. So if you had... 100 units, and you had all 100 units rented up, the gross scheduled rents would be the maximum amount of money you would make. Now, in the real world, here's what here's what happens. Let's say market rent is 650, and sometimes brokers will put the gross scheduled rents as just the market rents times um, the 100 units. And that's not very accurate sometimes because through rent rolls, right? You have a lot of different um, prices that you're renting out each unit for. Sometimes they're off 25, 30 bucks. And so to get, if you're going to put a gross scheduled rents in a, for if you're updating your, you know, for to analyze a deal, I would take, you need a current rent roll and the rent roll is gonna show you all the actual rents that they're getting from that particular property on a monthly basis. And so then it's gonna show you the vacants. And on the vacants, you can assess the current market rents, but all the other properties you're going to, all the other units, you're gonna use what they actually have in their, um, in their lease as their income, right? So hopefully that makes sense because that can be a big misrepresentation where you know, a broker will put together on an operating packet, say, hey, it's, you know, the rents, the market rents are 650 and times 100, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever units you have, 120, 100, just we'll call it 100 for easy math. And then um, there's only maybe, you know, 10 vacants. So it's 90% occupied, but they're saying that, you know, all the rents are 650 when in fact, most of the rents are six and a quarter, right? And so, they'll make a big discrepancy in their amount of uh, potential income that they're making. So you have to be really careful 
when uh, brokers use this schedule of rents. Is it really from the rent roll? Is it just the number they're putting out? So um, this you will have to verify that number. So vacancy, vacancy is pretty simple. That represents the amount of income loss from you know units that are vacant. Pretty 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 self-explanatory. Um, concessions. This is a word. What is? Hey, I got a concession. What is that? Right. A concession is usually when you are comping a unit. So in other words, you say, "Hey, there's a it's a 12 month lease, but you get one month for free." That's a concession. And then a credit loss. So credit loss is a non-paying tenant. So those are types of things that you would uh, deduct from your um, after your your income. You're going to take that money away. Rubs. This is something. What's a rubs? Well, rubs is a uh, residential utility billback system. And when we have rubs, and this is used a lot uh, with brokers, you say, hey, do you have, are they getting any rubs currently? And brokers will understand what rubs are. It's a residential utility billback system. Um, and that's the income received from billing back a portion of the water or sewer or trash. Most properties are master billed for their water, sewer, and trash. But every tenant uses some of that. So uh, one of the easiest ways to make some extra additional income is to install and start a rubs program. We do that on, on almost every property. And that's simply by saying, hey, rent the rent's uh, $650, and there's a $15 water sewer trash rubs, rubs bill, right? And most people are like, okay, yeah, and they'll just pay it. And so there's like a $15 rent bump by doing Nothing but saying, hey, uh, prices, utilities, you, you use them, and we're going to charge you back for it. Well, that's easy, right? And then we have total income. Uh, total income is pretty simple. Talk about CapEx. So CapEx is one of those words that uh, it gets slung around, and some people are like, what? Uh, sometimes it's called capital improvement. And what that is, we this is what we call in the single-family world, we call it rehab money, Right? How much rehab do you have on that property? What's your rehab dollars? In the commercial world, we call it CapEx, capital improvements, right? And a lot of times when we're talking CapEx with multifamily, we are a lot of times we talk about a cost per door, right? So when you're talking to a broker and you're saying, hey, listen, I'm trying to dial in, and I love this word dial in, I'm trying to dial in my CapEx per door. You know what? What do you think it's going? What do you think it's going to run? Those are good questions to ask the broker. What do you think the capex per door is going to run to bring this property up to the standard needed? Needed, right? And you know, it could be between two thousand, twenty five hundred, three thousand dollars a door. It depends on how much work is needed. And normally, that's when we are underwriting. When I'm underwriting, I'm underwriting on costs per door, right? So we'll we'll put in a number based on our experience of how much money we think needs to be uh, set aside for this property. Now, we, we like to do it two different ways. We, we first eyeball it and say, hey, here's a cost per door. And then we actually, when we're in our due diligence, we get actual real bids and come up and say, do, are, are, we, are we right? Do we need to add more per door? Do we need to, can we subtract less? And we're gonna try to dial it in, right? Now you also have um, the bank also has capex reserves. So what's what's that, right? Well, that's the amount of money that the bank requires you to hold back 
for capital improvements. Now, this one, a lot of people don't, uh, they forget about this, but this happens with every property and every bank is going to as assess your property different and they're going to tell you how much the reserves are and they'll give you it in a yearly amount and then they will deduct automatically from your payment monthly, right? And so you are uh, basically holding back money or profit from your property every month and it goes into this escrow account at the bank. Now, the good news on that is that the bank will actually allow you to get that money back. And, and normally you have to put in a request. And we usually request that money once a quarter, right? So we'll look at all the CapEx that we spent. We request it from the lender. The lender will then in turn send us money back. We put it in the bank and it works really, really, really well, right? Um, but you have to ask for it. You will not get it if you don't ask. So this is one of those things you got to stay on top of your management companies. Um, it should be a uh, pretty much a, a process every quarter, right? And typically the paperwork, ta ta paperwork takes two to three weeks to like go through all the way through the process. And so you're going to want to make sure that you put it in correctly and, uh, and make sure that your management company is doing this every quarter because... If you do not request it, you'll get it back. And normally, we, we actually time this with our uh, payments to our capital. So um, it just gives us a little extra breathing room of that money comes in. We theoretically, in our minds, at least uh, you know how I look at it, is we already spent that money. So when we get money that comes in, it's like an extra um, little buffer. And so we like to try to do that at the same time we pay our capital so we have extra money that comes in. So... Then we have this thing called NOI, right? So what's what's NOI, right? Uh, NOI is one of those things that it's called your net operating income. And this is the number that we use to really d discover, you know, what the value is of a property, right? So it's your, it's your income minus your expenses, NOI, right? So when you have, and, and that number is all also determined by a cap rate. So if you have $100,000 of NOI, okay, and that's, that's after all your expenses, you have that much left over. And then let's say we have a cap rate of 7.5, right? If that was the case, if you had $100,000 of NOI at a 7.5 cap, that, and, and the cap rate is almost like the market rate. Right? It's like it's kind of like the market is how I like to describe it. It's the market of which people are willing to pay for that stream of income, right? So a seven and a half cap is not bad, right? It's not bad at all, especially in the current market. That that value is one point three three three. If you had a hundred thousand dollars of NOI and you were able to get a cap rate at seven and a half, that means the current value is one point three three million dollars. Okay, that's pretty good. It's really good. Now watch this. If you had that same NOI of $100,000, but you were able, the market was now currently at a six and a half cap, 1% difference, right? That the value of the, that property would be 1.53, almost uh, $200,000 difference, right? In the cap rate. So, Cap rate has a big 
effect on, on your NOI and your value of your property. It's one of those things that can really move a property. So if you can buy a property at a eight or nine cap and you can sell it at a seven cap, man, you are making money. You're making really good money, right? And, um, and how you do that, by the way, is by making a very nice, consistent product without any deferred maintenance. When you fix up these properties, now typically we hold properties for at least five years. And the reason for that is that it takes a year to fix all the broken stuff. It takes a year to fix all the broken people, right? We want to upgrade our tenants. And then we want three years to maximize our operations. And when we maximize our operations, and what I'm saying is like, we have a collections that's less than one and a half percent. We have um, steady income. All our money is collected within the first 10 days of the month, right? Normally for us, we, we set up everybody on ACH. So 95% of our money is collected on the first of the month. Well, that's huge. Okay. Um, and when you can show these types of numbers to sellers, they will typically, a lot of times they'll overpay. So we, we try to market to broken 1031 exchanges and also to smaller REITs. And we know that what they're looking for is consistency. What Wall Street loves is a nice, steady, rising income. And if you can accomplish that, and then also have no deferred maintenance at the property, in other words, everything's nice and, and, and fixed, that's called an easy button. And you know, bigger corporations and companies, Wall Street, they like easy buttons. They just like, that's a coupon clipper for them. They can buy that asset, manage it, and it's not going to change a whole hell of a lot, right? So that's, that's really good for people, right? All right, so performa. This is one of my favorite words, by the way, performa. What the hell is a performa? Now, if you ask me, I think it's the... It's the broker's smoking method for um, putting together uh, pack <laughs> packets. <laughs> I call it the crack pipe numbers or something. Like sometimes I, I look at some of these pro formas, right? What it is, it's the assumed, forecasted, or informal information presented in advance of the actual or formal information. <laughs> in other words, it's just a bunch of hokey pokey, right? Uh, pro forma financial statements give an idea of how the actual statement will look if the underlying assumptions hold true. Now, most of the, you, you got to understand, most of these packets are put uh, together by brokers. Now, if you're a broker right now, I'm not trying to beat you up, okay? Um, I'm just being like in my, and I'm, I'm being biased here, but also I'm trying to make, I'm trying to make sure everybody understands this, is that it's just, a broker's opinion, right? Sometimes a lot of brokers, they're not, they're not owners, right? They're, they're, they're agents. They sell properties and they're really good at it. And as an owner though, we are the ones that are putting our capital on the line, right? And so you have to make sure that how much performa is somebody putting in a deal? In other words, how much crack pipe numbers are they trying to bend the truth? Because the actuals sometimes are way different than the performance. 
And so we try to buy on actuals as much as possible. When we're getting and asking brokers for information, we are not looking at their broker's packet that hard. What we really want is the real raw data from the property. Give us your last P&L. Give us your your income statements. Give us your tax returns. Give us your, um, your rent rolls, right? We will be able to start putting together and, and, and making the data um, very accurate so we can have real numbers. And we're going to make our buying decisions based on real numbers and not really performant. Now, sometimes you still have to pay some performant. So I'll give you an example of that. Like, so if you're going to buy a property, let's say it's 50% occupied, meaning half the property is vacant. Now there's an inherent value of the property, no matter what. But uh, if you were to look at it just based on the income stream, that property is going to not be worth anything. And so, but you're still going to have to overpay. You're going to have to pay more than what the current income stream would tell you, right? And so you're going to have to pay some performa, right? And now the trick is, is not to pay too much, right? Because you know if you can take that property from 50% to 95 or 92 or 93 or somewhere in the 90s, well, that's you can make a whole hell of a lot of money by doing that, right? Unless you overpay. Unless you overpay. Unless you put you pay too much of the performa, right, of what it could be. So uh, another thing, OM, right? You hear this? Hey, do you have an OM on that? Talk to a broker. Can you send me your OM on this? Uh, an OM is short or code for an operating memorandum, right? It's a sales brochure that brokers usually prepare to sell a commercial property. Okay, so that's an OM. And most brokers will have it put together when they go out and list a property. <laughs> okay, hopefully this, I, I don't want to try to bore you guys here, so... I know I feel like I'm just going through uh, the, the words that I have on my screen to keep me on track. But, I mean, I, these are things we have to know. And, um, you know, it's not always the funnest thing to, to learn about, but you need to know and have an idea of these words, okay? An acquisition fee. So what's an acquisition fee? An act, 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 act fee, right? This, now, I love this this one here. So listen to this. This is the fee sponsors, people like me and people like you, take for putting a deal together. And it's normally between three and 5% of a purchase price. Wow. So you're telling me if I bought a $10 million deal and I was able to get a 4% acquisition fee, I can make 400K? Hell yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's, that's big money, right? That's huge. I mean, Think about this one deal. I mean, if you if you were able to pull down one deal, a ten million dollar deal, and raise the capital for it, it could pay you a potential four hundred thousand dollars. Wow, that is crazy. Okay, call to offers, right? What is a call to offers? Uh, a call to offers is normally right the deadline date for offers to be made on a property. This is, and, and normally, so like a broker lists a property and he'll say, hey, we have a call for offers on, you know, February 20th at, uh, you know, Friday at 5 p.m. That's the call to offers. And meaning that he wants to have all his, all his offers in by then. If you're going to make an offer on the property, you need to have it in 
to the brokers by the call for offers date. And then they also have this thing called best and final or final and best, best and final. And so usually when you put in your offer, what you're trying to do with the broker is saying, hey, listen, I want to make sure I make it to the best and final round, right? And that's where, uh, and, and a lot of times you're going to let the broker know that you may not have the best and strongest offer, but you that you're really looking to be in the best and final. You want to you want to get through all the other offers that are out there. And so that's very important. And the re- one of the ways you do that, by the way, is um, this is a little magic word here called um, you're going to call the broker on the day that the call to offers is that morning. And you're going to ask him for pricing guidance, pricing guidance, pricing guidance is a magical thing, right? Because you're going basically asking him to, you know, hey, how does this thing work? Uh, I just want to get, I want to make sure that I get into the best and final, you know, with, with this offer, you know, am I, do you think I can make it to the best and final round? And then he's going to let you know, right? I mean, if he's the right kind of guy, if you have a relationship with a guy like I teach, um, then you're going to do really well. And, and you'll probably get that information, at least with your within a hot and cold range, right? Oh, you're pretty cold. Okay, well, you know, how, how much money does it take to get hot, <laughs> right? I mean, it's not that hard to, to figure out, okay? All right, so let's talk about um, DCRs, right? What are DCRs, okay? DCRs is your debt coverage ratio, right? This, it's a measure of the cash flow available to pay current debt obligations. So the ratio states net operating income as a multiple of debt obligations due within one year, okay? Uh, including interest, principal, and and stuff like that, right? The higher this ratio is, the easier it is to obtain a loan, right? Most banks want at least a debt ratio of 1.25 or more, right? 1.25, meaning when you make money, right, you have to at least make one and, and then a quarter more of what your debt payment is. And so, like, we've got a property right now that we have almost like a 2.0 debt ratio, meaning we make double the amount after this is we're taking our NOI, right, net operating income, and we're looking at it and saying, how much do we have left over to make this payment? And we have double the amount. That's huge, by the way, huge. Right, so that's pretty cool. Let's talk about a couple other things. I want want us want to talk about like some um, deferred maintenance, right? So deferred maintenance. I love this right here. Deferred maintenance is when um, is when the owner or operator avoids regular upkeep of a property and it starts to need work. So we call this deferred maintenance, and it's I, I believe it's it's normally represented in a dollar figure, right? Hey, what's your deferred maintenance on this? How much deferred maintenance is on the property right now, right? That you think needs to be fixed, right? Due diligence, right? Due diligence. This is usually the inspection period, right? Hey, uh, we got to do our due diligence on. We're, uh, we're getting ready to do our due diligence on this, right? Or and actually, due diligence can be a little bit of everything, right? But when you're saying, "Hey, we're going to do our due diligence," that's usually your inspection period, right? When you're going to do a physical. Uh, and, uh, uh, inspection and also a financial inspection. Okay, um, letter of intent or, or, or LOI, LOI, right? Usually, when you submit an offer to a property, you are going to submit an LOI, a letter of intent, and um, this is something that's uh, you know 
uh, it really needed. Now, your letter of intent should not be complicated, guys, right? I see a lot of people, they, they bring in these, you know, big, like, PSA, Purchase and Sales Agreement, PSA, right? For, uh, for uh, that the should be an LOI. An LOI should be like two pages at max. It should not be complicated. It's got to be simple, right? Uh, make readies. Hey, uh, when, when a rental unit becomes vacant, it's a make ready until it becomes rent ready, right? How many make readies do you have? Make ready is you got to make them ready. In other words, they're vacant, but they're not cleaned up and ready yet for to be rent ready. So make readies and rent readies. Pretty much uh, there. Now, um, now let's talk about plays, right? I, I like to talk about plays in this because I feel like in in this in this world of apartments, there's in my mind about three different types of we'll call them plays. When you buy a property, there's a thing called a momentum play, right? A momentum play. It's when you take an already stabilized property and you make micro repositionings, right? What's a repositioning? So we're going to make improvements on the property that are not big improvements, that are typically easier and they're not as risky. Okay, you are looking at three percent growth year over year, and uh, and maybe with year two being around six percent growth. Right, you have one year that you do all some some of the work, some of the micro repositionings, and then in year two you're going to be able to have six percent growth, and then you're going to keep it steady at three percent growth throughout. Right. Momentum plays are really, those are nice deals that you can take over and make money. You're not going to make huge home runs, but you're going to make nice cash flow. Now, I love momentum plays. I love it for the fact that I raised lots of capital. And we this is typically what we try to do. We try to take this with the um, momentum play, right, where, where we already have, we're coming into a deal it's going to start, it's making money, right? We're not going to say we're going to raise and just kill the rents. Or not, we're not going to do lots of rehab on the property. But when we do these micro repositionings, right, we can make really good cash flow. Now, we also like to sprinkle in this next one, which is, which is an occupancy play. So stabilized, by the way, stabilized means 85% or better, Right. So that's a momentum play. If you can find something that's already making money and um, it's stabilized at 85%, but 85% is low, and that's truly could be an occupancy play, right? Now, an occupancy play also could be could be put in when it's like 50% uh, occupancy. So you know you have an occupancy play where you can go from 50 to 90. That's a huge increase in income when you fill it up and you should get rewarded for that, right? Now, we like to type, take momentum plays with a sprinkle of occupancy. So we like buying stuff at 88%, 80, you know, 87%. Those are really good deals for us that we can, they're already stabilized. You know, 87% of the units are filled with paying tenants, okay? All we have to do is be able to maximize operations and typically, in my company, most of our properties are running around 97%. Well, that's pretty good. And so when we keep it a high occupancy like that, um, and we can also have the momentum, that really is a nice little value add for us. By the way, value add, value add is a, a way of talking about, you know, their opportunity. What's the value add, right? 
secure. Well, if we can fix the occupancy and that we can keep the momentum going, that's that's what we're looking for, right? So occupancy is when a, when a property has low occupancy, you can get paid a lot of money by filling it up with paying tenants. You you want to buy a property based on NOI, but sometimes you will have to pay some performance, okay? And then you have a repositioning play. This is when you have low occupancy and it's typically, uh, you need to do a lot of rehab to bring the property to a new fresh standard. This requires a lot of CapEx and uh, occupancy normally drops when you're doing this type of play. You're doing a lot of work on the property, you're kicking people out. Um, usually this is a, a higher risk type of property. Normally it takes about two years, right, for this to, to really pay off. So, you, you know, you, you take truly one year to fix all the broken stuff and the next year you're really trying to, um, you know, fill it up. Um, and this has potentials for huge, I mean, huge payouts, but it's risky at peak markets. So we are currently not looking for big repositioning plays currently, not in this market, right? We feel like we're too high at the top, right? We'll take momentum plays and occupancy plays all day long, but we're really not so really uh, looking into what's going on with like, um, the repositioning scene, right? Uh, doesn't really want, it doesn't, doesn't help our, our, our case much, right? With that said, so, you know, the, hopefully those words, right, uh, are helping you right now. Um, it's, it's not easy to learn all this in one, and this is just a podcast. It's hard to like give everything that I know in a podcast. I'm trying, right? I'm just going through some of the words that I, that I'm looking on my screen right now trying to make sure that you're familiar with these terms. You know, it's the terms that really drive stuff, but it's really about relationships. You know, you can, you can, you can get screwed up with the terms. You can say the wrong things and that's okay. I want you to let, let you know, like we're all human brokers put on their pants just like we do. Right. And so don't get like all consumed up with terms, but when you can understand the terms, you start, learning the terminology of multifamily, it does make a difference. It really does. It allows you to have confidence. And when you're, when you're dealing with multifamily, it's really the confidence factor that um, gives you the edge, right? When you can tell a broker, listen, we want to close. We have a good group put together. We are here to buy something. And it really can overcome a lot of the craziness that happens in this multifamily world. So guys, I want to thank you for your time again. This was this was the the this was the tough one, right? Vocabulary is not my favorite thing to teach. I don't always get super jazzed about vocabulary, right? But I know that it, it has to be said. It has to be talked about because it really is important when talking with brokers, right? It just is. It has to be something that you you can grab a hold of and master. And when you master it, man, things really start to change. Brokers will start to look at you differently because you are becoming a master of the verbiage, right? So I challenge you to go out there and learn about multifamily. If you've not gotten my book, if you've not read my book, you need to go to um, whythericgetrichter.net and, and go get my book. It's free. You just got to uh, pay a little uh, shipping cost. I think it's $7.95. 
Um, but I would love for you guys to get my book and and read about it. I've put a lot of good nuggets in that book. Um, so take take me up on that offer. Also, uh, coming up, so t- next week, uh, this is going to be a really fun one. This is going to be the secrets of uh, analyzing fat deals. So we're going to go through my cash flow calculator. I'm going to talk to like what you guys should be doing when you're analyzing deals, how to analyze deals correctly, some of the mistakes that most rookie investors make when analyzing deals. So you're not going to want to miss that podcast. Stick around. Guys, if you believe it, you can achieve it. Your paradise is possible.